Hello and welcome back to the Chase Doesn't Know podcast. This episode, Prepare Yourself, is short and fast-paced, but packs a huge punch, just like my guest does, Miss Jenny Ballard Mayfield. She is doing all things imaginable at Theatre Baton Rouge and has been running the show over there for a few years. Like I said, acting, managing, directing, producing, the whole show. Uh, she's awesome. She... I, I, w- I don't know, maybe changed my life might be a little bit of a strong term, but I will say changed, definitely changed my perspective on live theater whenever I saw her acting last year. Uh, you'll hear a little bit about that in this episode, but since seeing that performance and experiencing theater BR for the first time and another time since that, I knew that I had to have her on to share about the things happening over there, the importance of theater, and the intricacies of actually acting, which is something I'm very unfamiliar with, but am very fascinated by. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Jenny. Jenny, thank you so much for coming downtown and hanging out for a little time. Uh, She actually had the final dress rehearsal after this. She took time in the middle of that crazy day to come talk to me. So massive props. Thank you so much, Jenny. And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode with Jenny Ballard Mayfield. Since you were just talking about this camera, it made me want to ask you, uh, because Theatre Baton Rouge is, well, before COVID, it was live performances. Um, So do y'all have, uh, did did y'all have any camera equipment or anything? Did y'all do any recording, video recording before? We had not really before COVID. Okay. Um, We've we've kind of figured out how to do video very quickly Mm -hmm. um, in, in light of COVID. Right. Yeah. So, so I think, did y'all do a live or a virtual some virtual shows? We've actually done four, four. since wow. okay. May, which is kind of crazy. We did How I Learned to Drive on Zoom, okay, and that was in May. And that was one of our shows that was supposed to happen that we kind of had to shut down when okay. COVID hit. Yeah. We did um, A Doll's House Part 2, which we actually had to shut down opening night of the original production. So you did everything leading up to it. That's and right. And you didn't get to do one show. Right. We did the invited friends and family. We did the pay what you can. And then we had to shut it down opening night. Wow. I know. It was terrible. Dang. It was March 11th. And it was the um, that was the same weekend that we shut down Fox on the Fairway. Thank goodness you saw it. Oh, OK. Yeah, we did. We snuck in and saw it, which was awesome. By Thank the way, you. we loved it. Yeah. Thank you. It was a really good one. So we did um, Doll's House as soon as we could get back together again. The cast got together and rehearsed, and we filmed it, and then we streamed that via Vimeo. And then, Vimeo, okay. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then in um, August, we streamed our fifth annual gala, which we recorded 35 volunteers individually, wow. edited them into duos and trios, and then streamed that. And then we filmed our young actors program, Fall Fleeing. 18 kids wow. filmed individually and then streamed that in August and as well. So, so I'm understanding you filmed them individually, but then edited them together as if it was a performance. That's exactly right. Okay, that's cool. So with, with the gala, we had like the individual numbers, we just aired them as is. Mm-hmm. But then we had a few trios, we had a few duos. And in those cases, we filmed those individually. And then our editor basically edited them to look like they were in That's the same awesome. room performing together. That's really cool. It was pretty neat. Yeah. Sounds like a not lazy editor you have. <laughs> <laughs> he is a not lazy editor. That is a fact. Um, so what I, uh, there's, Again, there's tons to talk about, but a big thing that's been happening, obviously, is COVID, which has had direct impact on theater and live events in general. Um, And I've kind of 
tried to not talk as, about COVID as much just because um, hopefully it's a temporary thing for maybe 2020, but um, it totally, I'm assuming, uh, totally changed the way that y'all have done things. So can you kind of walk me through, first of all, can you tell me exactly what you do at the theater and then explain what theater Baton Rouge is for anyone out there who is not familiar? Yes, absolutely. So I am the managing artistic director at Theater Baton Rouge. And Theater Baton Rouge is a community theater, basically meaning that everybody involved as far as the actors, front of house, backstage crew are volunteers. So um, it's very important to me to say to people that I don't think community theater means less than professional. I think community theater means volunteer based and driven. And I will just interrupt and say the first time that I saw a performance at Theater Baton Rouge was The Crucible at the end of last year, I think, 2018. Yeah, yeah. And I was like legitimately blown away because it was as if I was going to New Orleans and paying to see a show. Like Good. there was no lack in quality or acting, production, all of the above was very, very good. So kudos to thanks, you. Thanks, Chase. <laughs> yes. Thanks. I was in that one. You were, so. which I'm definitely going to ask you about <laughs> later. <laughs> um, well, you know, we're really lucky that we have a lot of volunteers who have a major passion for doing theater and who love being at Theater Baton Rouge. So uh, we're able to call on them regularly to, to come out and do shows. Mm -hmm. But we have been around. This is actually our 75th season. It's crazy. It's awesome. I know. It's amazing. It's very cool. We're the oldest theater in the city. We're mm -hmm. one of the oldest community theaters in the nation. Wow. And we're in the top 25. That's cool. So in a typical season, we do 13 shows. Mm -hmm. We have our Capital Series, which The Crucible was part of, okay. um, which primarily takes place on the main stage. And then we have our City Series, which is more avant-garde, a little bit more um, audience boundary pushing, and uh, a little bit more... Um, a little more theater. A little more theater. That's exactly <laughs> okay. right. That's exactly right. And uh, we have our Young Actors Program. We yeah. do two shows mm -hmm. within that every year. And then we also have our two holiday specials, which typically are the Rocky Horror Show and A Christmas Carol. So COVID has basically taken all of that and just tossed it out the window. Mm -hmm. And we've had to kind of figure out what we could actually do this fall. We um, actually announced a wonderful season for our 75th anniversary this year. Uh, in March, about a week before we mm. were shut down. So that was pretty terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we had to scrap that and basically push that back a year. But we've come up with a number of things that we could do in its place. Um, obviously, like I said a few minutes ago, we're opening American Sun live. Yes. Our first live show in Which six is, months. So today is Tuesday the 22nd, mm -hmm. and the first showing is this Friday. This Friday. Th this episode will actually come out after the first showing, but it, how long is it going to be playing for? So it plays through October 4th, okay. so two weekends. Okay, so I'm trying to think on the fly. This may be out before then, but if it's not, there's going to be more live shows after. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful. It'll be a wonderful memory that people can think about when, <laughs> right. they, when they see this, if, if it's too late. But no, uh, it's the first of the live shows. Following that, we're actually going to also be doing um, many virtual shows. We're starting uh, after American Sun with a comedy called Buyer and Seller, mm. which is about a young man living in Hollywood who takes a job for Barbara Streisand, basically working at the shopping mall in her basement. <laughs> okay. And uh, hilarity ensues. Love it. Sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> Brandon Guillory, who's one of our regular actors, is going to be in that one. Okay. Um, so that's going to be streaming via Vimeo in October. We're doing for Halloween a radio play called Vintage Hitchcock, okay. which is basically a combination of Hitchcock's movies 
the Lodger, Saboteur, and the 39 Steps. Um, and but what? it's completely radio style. Oh, okay, so radio play is, is it just audio or? So we're gonna do it on Zoom, but okay. we're also going to be working with 103.3 and doing um, an actual radio play on oh, Halloween cool. with just the voices. Very cool. And as part of the Zoom production as well, we're gonna have some live Foley artists part of as part of the uh, wow. Zoom experience, making all of the sound effects. It's That's five cool. actors playing like a thousand roles. <laughs> so it's gonna be really, really fun. That sounds cool. And I'm assuming that because you're doing more virtual shows now that you can do live shows that the virtual shows have been successful. They have. You know, I think everybody prefers live theater and virtual productions certainly aren't the money makers that, that live theater can be. But I think that I, at least based on what our audiences have said, they'll take any kind of theater they can get for the time being until we can do massive productions right. once again. Right. And even with American Sun and the other live productions we're doing, you know, our, you as you have said, you have been to our theater. Mm -hmm. We have a 327 seat house. We are selling 40 tickets per show so that we can have extreme social distancing right. in place. Um, we're doing lots of safety precautions, obviously temperature checks. We're we're, we are requiring that our audience wears masks during the production. Um, we're also cleaning in between performances with UVC lights. We're running HEPA filters. Uh, Man, we're running, I got the whole shebang going. We're doing it all. Love it's like it. we're a hospital. <laughs> right. <laughs> Probably cleaner really than a hospital, seriously. maybe. <laughs> I know. Cool. Um, okay, so, you, so your day-to-day, -day, I've kind of gathered somewhat from seeing what you're talking about on social media and things and then your actual title but you what exactly are you managing are you managing all of the shows or all of the logistics or all the people or all of the above all of the above okay Basically so you like running of kind of running the whole show i'm kind of yeah that's okay. exactly right Perfect. so i i don't know how public this has been made at this point but but it's nothing to um hide we actually recently had to do we had to lay off about 75% of the staff. Wow. So at this point, the, the staff that we have are the technical director, myself, and our office administrator. Wow. So okay. I'm now in charge of marketing. I'm now in charge of development. I'm in charge of education. And I'm in charge of all of the things I was in charge of before the layoffs happened. So at this time, I'm, I'm literally Running everything. doing it all. Wow. I'm literally doing it all. Um, can you kind of, um, I was curious to ask you, kind of what your thoughts were and what your, your kind of strategy and what your kind of the plans you came up with back in March whenever things started to shut down. Um, and like you said, canceling the whole plan for the year. What was your initial kind of reaction and thoughts to that? And then how did y'all, you and the team, come up with the idea for virtual shows and then start to actually plan what is seeming probably very complicated to do? So the initial reaction was um, one of terror and despair, mm. uh, because obviously um, we're we're close to a, a million dollar theater. That that's what our budget is close to a million dollars at this point, um, and we basically took about a three hundred thousand dollar hit wow. in canceling all of the shows at the end of last oh, season, wow. which is no joke. Yeah. So um, a lot of this has kind of been a, a scramble to figure out how we can keep the doors open mm -hmm. and, and make um, saving the theater and um, making sure we're around for another 75 years yeah. a thing. So 
we all started doing some research um, when we got shut down and realized that if we were going to stay viable and if we were going to keep the doors open, we were going to have to figure out how to, how to go virtual. Mm. And so we started doing some research on how that would work. I reached out to Jesse Sedgley, who is helping with some of our filming and is the very non-lazy editor that we <laughs> were talking it. about a moment Shout ago. Shout out to him. <laughs> Shout or out her. Jesse. Is it him or her? Him. Him. Okay, got Super it. Super not lazy. Got it. Super hardworking. <laughs> and uh, he basically said, here are the things that I think will work if we approach it this way. Okay. So he talked to me. We figured out kind of the way we were going to tackle... Um, Doll's House Part 2 specifically, which was the first of the shows that we filmed and streamed. And he was a major part of making that happen. Um, of course, there were some hiccups. We figured out a lot of things along the way, mm -hmm. um, such as, oh, by the way, the actors need to have microphones so we can have <laughs> sound plugged into the camera. Right. By the way, we need to make sure we're doing all of these things and communicating effectively. So there was a lot that we figured out quickly. Um, but it, it was basically trial and error for that one, and then just some research on what other theater companies had done, okay. and I guess um, best practices as far as streaming yeah. go. And one thing that I found out, um, because we, we had lots of conversations about do we film and stream, or do we try to live stream? Um, and everybody agreed, um, just based on the research we did, that live streaming was iffy, mm -hmm. especially with theater. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we decided that we were going to go the route of filming okay. and streaming after the fact. Okay. Um, and kind of the model we based it on was National Theater Live. Of course, nothing that we're doing is anywhere on the caliber of National Theater <laughs> is that, Live. I'm assuming that's some huge production somewhere. It's National Theater Live is based out of London, and they oh, basically okay. film yeah. from like a thousand different camera angles right. and okay. edit right. it together and then, and then air it. Um, so it's like a $50 million budget or something crazy. At least, I would say. Yeah, okay. So we're nowhere on that scale. But that was the basis of kind of the way we wanted to approach this. Yeah. So we decided to film Doll's House with three cameras um, from three different angles. We learned a lot during that process alone and learned from here on we need at least six angles just okay. to have different was it like was it kind of wide shot as if you were sitting in the theater or were there like close-up shots between the three angles so we did one wide shot and then we did two close-ups okay that we're focusing kind of um, the, and you're kind of pointing from the side angle a little bit to that's kind exactly of, right I'm assuming catch actors when they're turned to the other actor okay, yes that's it. exactly right okay. so we got to have the different i guess povs for for those cool. moments and you know one lovely thing that we heard from a doll's house part two specifically was that it was so nice to be able to really see the yeah. subtle reactions uh -huh. of the actors right. and and so on and so forth so i think there was a lot of really great stuff that that came out of doing that um how i learned to drive the one that we did on zoom um my best friend shannon walsh uh is a professor at lsu mm. and she and i were talking and i was like shannon we have to figure out how to do this production we can't just cancel it we've had to cancel so much and so she said i know this is crazy but why don't we think about doing it? This is mine, right? Yes, okay. that is yours. That is yours. I told you we're pretty relaxed. I'm interrupting her <laughs> to make sure I'm drinking out of the right water bottle. I don't want to mess that hey, up. Hey, fair, COVID. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we are maybe close to six feet apart. So that's, that's good. right. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. No, you're good. So she said, I know this is crazy, but let's try to do it via Zoom. So we did the auditions via Zoom. We did oh, wow. the entire rehearsal process via Zoom, and then we actually did the, the really? show via Zoom. And so she did the heavy lifting with that because she directed that show. She kind of figured out how it was going to work, how to use Zoom effectively. Um, she did some really neat stuff where she stacked screens so that even though people were in, in different houses, there were moments that... Um, 
they kissed or they cuddled or really? they held hands. That's yeah. awesome. Um, a lot of the show takes place in a car specifically, so it was really interesting to see how she figured out how to make two people yeah. look like they were in the same car. She did some really neat stuff. The The guy who played the lead um, would wear a specific shirt, and then Libby, who played the female lead, her husband would basically wear the exact same okay. shirt. So our lead actor would reach through the screen, and then Libby's husband would wrap his arm around her, so cool. it looked like he was, it was his arm. It was really neat. That it was cool. a It was a pretty cool thing. Um, you know, we had about... 50 to 70 people attend each of those performances, which were really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, the playwright herself watched it from New York City. Really? Which I thought was pretty cool that as well. That is really cool. And that's opened up a whole new world for us. For the first time, it's no longer this region alone that we're serving. We're now able to serve people from all over the country. Right. One of our actors, actually, that is um, in Vintage Hitchcock is an actor who has done a lot of stuff with Theater Baton Rouge, but who moved to Minnesota about a year ago, but he's doing our show. That's cool. Very cool. So I think this is honestly, this, um, this weird virtual time is giving us some opportunities to play around mm -hmm. and involve people that may not otherwise be able to be involved and, and kind of get ourselves out there nationally. Mm -hmm. As well as locally. That's really cool. So, yeah. so do you think that y'all you will integrate that, say, in next year if everything is open to back up? I think we will. That's okay. one thing we've been talking a lot about, that even once um, post-COVID, when we can go back to normal, that virtual productions will stay a thing. Even if it's a one-off fundraiser mm -hmm. or a, a specific special show or something like that. I just think it's an element that um, has been really fun that we've figured out how to do things better than we were. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to be filming a lot of stuff this coming fall and streaming it as well as doing it live. So it's been interesting. We certainly don't have the fancy cameras that you guys have. <laughs> That's um, right. But we have our own Canon that we're really, really proud of. So uh, we actually bought that for um, all of this when we figured out Cool. everything that was going to be happening. Right. So it's been interesting. It's been a challenge. Uh, so basically... to. <laughs> Sorry. Long story short, too late. No, long story. Keep it long, please. Okay. <laughs> um, we just did some research, figured out what would work best, and, and I guess uh, troubleshot it and yeah. figured out how to do it. And, and we've just been trying to improve upon the things we've learned each time. That's really cool. Um, what's, the, what's the process of like, you mentioned that everybody except for the actual staff members is volunteer. And in a, so... Give me an idea of how many people that is in, like, I guess, a air quote, normal production. Or maybe, like, for The Crucible. How many people were involved uh, from the cast to the crew in that production? So between cast and crew for that, we had about 30 people. Okay, wow. Yeah. And now this season, all of the shows that we're focusing on um, are four people or less. Really? Okay. Yeah, just to keep the audiences, and I'm sorry, just to keep the, the cast small and the stage open. Oh, right. Okay. So we can practice social distancing up there as right. much as we can. So everybody's social distancing, e even like in the rehearsal and the performance and all so of the above. 
To a certain extent. As much as possible. Yeah, there yeah. are some moments in American Sun where it's just impossible. There's a scene where... I mean, um, somebody's, I'm sure somebody's got a kiss at some point in some of these shows. So, so that's, thank goodness, <laughs> not yet. Because okay. that's that's a hurdle that we're going to have to um, cross eventually. But, I mean, there's there's stuff in American <clears throat> Sun where the couples hug. Yeah. Um, and there's an arrest that happens where they okay. clearly have to, like, get up in somebody's face to right. handcuff him and so on and so forth. But I will say that during the rehearsal process... The actors wore both masks and face shields. Okay. So well. I just, it's one of those things. We've been talking about it a lot. I feel like once you've lost the community's trust with something like that, it's really hard yeah, to gain it back. that's a good point, for sure. So we're trying to do everything we can to make sure that we are doing what we are saying, which is we are going to keep you safe. Right. So, so um, speaking of community... Uh, community is a huge part of a community theater. Um, so I'm interested because the actual theater is, is, am I correct in saying that it's a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. Okay. So y'all do fundraisers to accept community financial support. Yes. And then ticket sales. Are yes. those the two ways that y'all have so funding for the year? Yeah. Fundraisers, okay. ticket sales, um, corporate sponsors, corporate sponsors, right? Yeah. Of course. yeah. Individual donors and grants. Those, okay. those are really the, the means with which we, we get our income. Right. Normally, in a normal season, ticket sales make up about 65% of the income. Okay. So in looking at the coming season, ticket sales are probably going to be making up about 20 to 30% okay. of the income. Wow. Yeah. Hence the massive layoffs and budget cuts. Right. Um, so talk to me about, uh, about what you have to do. Not have to do, but what some of the ways uh, that you put out what's happening at the theater to the community drop people in to, you know, reach out to people who aren't familiar with theater, that sort of thing. Talk to me about uh, kind of what you what you do around that and then the importance of people continually, continually, I'm going to get through this sentence, supporting the theater. <laughs> so, you know, social media obviously is number one. Mm -hmm. um, a major part of that is it's a free marketing course, yeah, tool, yeah. you know, for the most part. Um, and I think that that's a great way to reach people that we haven't otherwise reached. We also have a newsletter um, that we're constantly trying to um, add emails to to uh, reach other community members who may not have heard of us. Our Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee um, is currently working on a program called Show on the Go, um, G-E-A-U-X, nice. which is going to be... Um, targeting specifically schools and neighborhoods that may not otherwise have exposure to the theater or means to get to or pay for tickets to mm -hmm. the theater. Um, and we'll be providing uh, theater free for all such areas. Um, and we also have uh, a touring program with our Young Actors program that takes um, shows to schools, to libraries, so on and so forth, whether That's it's, awesome. um, I know, I love it. That's very cool. Whether it's the Shakespeare show or whether it's the musical, just trying to get ourselves out there and, and um, make sure that people know who we are and that we're providing access to the theater and mm -hmm. being equitable and inclusive. Um, so those are some ways that we do it. Also, obviously, um, things like this, marketing opportunities, yeah. uh, the news, print, mm -hmm. podcasts, everything like this is a great way just to be able to get ourselves out there. Um, we're also always trying to participate in fairs and stuff that are set up. Of course, nothing like that is happening right, right now. <laughs> right. But like, you know, BR Parents Magazine, Baton Rouge Parents Magazine mm -hmm. often does um, like a, a kids fair. 
that's a great place to get our name out there and meet a lot of people that we may not otherwise meet. Mm -hmm. Um, There are lots of wonderful events like that that happen every year uh, that we try to participate in just just to get our name out there. Now, to answer your question about theater being important, I think that, so I think it was Winston Churchill that said that the arts are what separate us from the animals. And I think that's very, very true. I also think that theater is important not just because of the entertainment and escape that it provides, but theater teaches life skills like self uh, confidence and teamwork and decision making and problem solving and and things like that that are very tangible mm-hmm. um, qualities. And uh, I think that You know, we've had a lot of kids come through our program who say that they never found a place that they really felt like they fit in before they found theater specifically. Because theater is kind of just the land of misfits at all times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's it's the it's the place that welcomes everybody um, and anybody. And so I think that theater is just one of those places that um, cannot go away. I think it's so important. I think that theater teaches empathy. I think that theater um, raises awareness of social issues. I think that theater um, is a very marketable tool when you're looking at um, trying to get someone to understand uh, what it's actually like to walk in somebody else's shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there are so many things that are so important about theater that are never going to die. Um, And one thing that I've been saying is that I certainly don't think that COVID-19 is going anywhere anytime soon, um, but I don't think theater is either. Mm-hmm. I think that theater is resilient, and I think that artists specifically are very resilient. And I think that if anybody is going to figure out how to pivot and make things work during this time, it's artists. Right. Yeah. I think it's Cle- artists. Clearly, y'all have been demonstrating, too, which is, it's been cool for me to see, not watch the shows, the per se, but just see the things that y'all have been doing to adapt. Like I mentioned to you whenever we, whenever I first, uh, talked with you on the phone, just like, I, like no doubt this has been huge, uh, you know, thorn in the side because live events are impossible when things are shut down. But, but y'all have been coming up with creative ways to, to keep going. Um, and so, yeah, so you're proving your own thesis there. So I think that's big props to you on that. Um, I want to ask a little about the logistics Okay. Of your job and running a theater. Okay. Because um, I say on every episode, Carl's going to smile again whenever I say it, but I like to ask in the weeds questions to really get down because I don't know anything about running a theater or acting for that matter. Um, so I, every question that I ask, you're probably going to think it's like, a, you know, amateur level or something no. like super beginner child question type thing. But here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody, uh, I did have a question that popped up in my head a moment ago. Um, you, is it true to say that you have done some professional acting? That is true. That is true. Love it. Wonderful. True statement. How many people, um, that have come through the theater, if you could slap a percentage on it, are air quote professional actors or have professional acting experience before they, before they acted at, at the theater? I think that's a great question. I would say of the people that are currently working at the theater, probably about five to eight percent okay wow i think most of the people that are doing it are people who have been doing it um because they love it for a really long time um but i think that the majority of the i think most of the people who are professionals are now doing stuff at the theater because quite honestly 
they find the professional world of theater exhausting. Really? Yeah. And I, I love theater and I love the professional world of theater and I'm grateful for all of the opportunities that I have had professionally. Mm -hmm. But I will say that when I took the job at the theater, part of the impetus for applying for it was because I was working on the production of Annie that was happening in 2014. I was directing it. And I had just graduated from graduate school a year before, and I got my master's in uh, theater performance. And I realized that it was such a relief to be with all of these people who wanted so much to be there and who were having so much fun. And this was the thing that they looked forward to Mm -hmm. every day when they got done with their jobs versus professional theater being their job. The job, right. You know what I mean? And I think with any job, um, the moment it's labeled a job, sometimes the fun goes away. There are different demands. Mm -hmm. There are different expectations. There are different pressures. Mm -hmm. So I think all of that adds up to um, just a very different kind of experience. But I would say about 5 to 8%. Okay, that's great. That's like super low, which I think is really cool. And again, a testament to the quality because... Uh, there were like the two performances that I've seen, there was no one who I could be like, oh, that person's not a professional. Like they all were amazing. So that's really cool. Um, Now in the show you saw in Fox on the Fairway specifically, we had a stacked cast. We had a, we did, we had a (laughs) stacked cast and one of them is currently an MFA at LSU. One of them had recently gotten their MFA and one of them used to work on Broadway. Oh, wow. So that cast specifically cool. actually had a lot of a professionals lot, yeah. in it. Like that five to 8% was like in that cast. Got it. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Not completely. That one you know was I mean. like, we were crying laughing at the, the Fox in the Fairway like a couple moments. It was, uh, it was pretty amazing. Um, so good. It was such a good show. And Jason did such a good job directing that too. He did. Uh, so the, this is actually leading to a question that I did have. He, are all of the the plays, the actual scripts and everything, uh, do you, how do you get those? Is that, you know, some of these, obviously the Crucible is a famous one, Annie's a famous one, but like Fox and the Fairway, I had never heard of that before. Is that, has that been written for a long time? And then like, where do you, are you the one picking them and how do you pick them and that sort of thing? So that's a good question. So Fox on the Fairway is actually a fairly new play that's been written in the past four or five years. Oh, okay. Um, which is why you've never heard of it. Yeah. So every year when it's time to start looking at the plays we want to do each season, um, I start so you, doing... you're lining them up at the beginning, planning through the year pretty yeah, much. Yeah, okay. so we typically... So let me back up a little bit. First of all, it's not just me. It's me and about 23 other people. We have oh, well. a play... <laughs> yeah, we have a play selection committee that oh, meets okay. about... eight times between the months of August and November, typically, in a typical year. Um, And we sit down, we bring a lot of shows to the table that we are interested in seeing on the stage, and then we basically spend all of those months reading them and then whittling down what makes the, I guess, most well-rounded season in looking at titles and size of show and size of cast and men versus women and diversity and so on and so wow. forth. So a Lots lot of, of stuff. So it's not just a story that is gripping or seems cool, but you, no. you take all those things into account. So I think it always starts with the story. I think it always starts with, oh my God, that's so good. Yeah. Or, oh my God, I really want to be in that. Yeah. Or, oh my God, I want to direct that. <laughs> how, many, how many are you in per year on average? So I only, honestly, I do one every two or three years. Oh, really? Before well, then the, I'm super lucky because I got to see you in a play. I know. <laughs> so a lot of it depends on who's directing the show, what's going on at the time, 
and the characters in the show specifically. The Crucible is one of those shows that I have wanted to do since I was a kid. Really? I love that play. It's one of my favorites. And George Judy, who directed that one, was the head of my MFA program when I was in graduate school. Okay, cool. So I basically reached out to him and said, hey, (laughs) I want to play Elizabeth Proctor and I want you to direct this. Are you down? And he said, yes, let's do it. And of course, Kenny, my husband, played John, which was a lot of fun as well. Which was very cool. Yeah, we exercised some demons during that, I think. (laughs) Really? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was a lot of fun to do. Uh, And then before that one, um, in 2017, I did A Few Good Men. I played Joe, the Demi Moore character from the movie. I haven't seen the movie. uh, Sorry, I haven't seen the movie. What? Have you seen the movie, Carl? It's so good. All right, this is my homework. Gotta watch A Few Good Men. Before this episode comes out, I will have watched it. It is so good. I'll watch it. It is so good. Um, so I did that, uh, and George directed that one too, back in 2017. Very cool. I used to primarily be an actor. That is, that is all I was really focused on doing. I mean, obviously so much so that I went to school to, uh, (laughs) get an MFA in it, but you know, I, I like directing as well. And it it kind of boils down to as long as I have some kind of life in the theater, I'm going to be happy. Cool. You know, so so you've done act, acting, directing, producing and managing a theater. What is your favorite part of it? The artistic stuff. My favorite part is always going to be acting, directing, producing, whatever involves the show specifically. Okay. Um, most of my days these days are spent doing exclusively administrative work. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I mentioned I'm, I'm doing four jobs currently. Right. Um, so that's a lot, you know, um, the, the thing that I really love though is the artistic side of it. So if I could do that full time, that is what I would be doing. <laughs> but, um, you know, theater is a business like you were saying. And mm-hmm. so we have to figure out how to run the business side of things. And it's just one of those things that as I, as I can start directing again, as I can start acting again, I will. Um, but right now we're just kind of in, in, I guess, crisis survival mode. Right. And, uh, once we get past that, I'll, I'll delve into the artistic side of things Love again. It. Um, this may be a weighted question because of the current situation. So maybe answer this question as if it was February, 2020 or before, which of those roles, acting, managing, directing, producing, and maybe I'm missing a bunch of others. Which one is the most, uh, challenging for you? Probably managing, honestly. Even before, um, like in the normal. Okay. Yeah. I'm a, I'm an, I like to... (sighs) I'm going to say this and at least seven people are going to laugh. (laughs) I think of myself as a nurturer, which it's terrible that people are going to laugh at that, but I like to build people up. You know, that's, Uh that's very much who I am. I want to, um, build them up and make them comfortable and make them confident. I don't like, um, managing honestly makes me a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I don't think that I'm bad at it. I think that I'm actually pretty good at it, but I don't enjoy it. I want us all just to be in a think tank working together at all times as equals, you know? (laughs) Um, the administrative side of it, I think I'm actually pretty good at, um, which is good. I just don't enjoy it as much. Yeah. I don't dislike it necessarily. Um, I actually really enjoy the grant writing. I really enjoy, um, that's interesting. I I like writing. writing. I was an English major. So, so the writing side of that comes very, very easy to me. Writing a grant to me is like writing a persuasive paper, which was my favorite kind of paper. Right. Yeah. You must um, have a pretty good batting average then on grants. I do, nice. actually. Very yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, I do. I just had an interview with uh, Marley from Mid-City Redevelopment, and they do a lot of grants. And so I was asking her a little bit about that, and literally sounds like a nightmare 
for me. I'm sure it's like just paperwork on paperwork. It's and, a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, the budget part of the grants are the part that I like the least. Mm. Um, but you know, budgets are a major part of what we do as well. Right. Obviously I build the budget like that. That's another thing that I'm in charge of every year is building and maintaining the budget and mm -hmm. making sure that we're staying within it and making sure that the money is allocated to the places that I've said it's going to be allocated and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And to me, all of that work, I try to approach it, um, with my artistic brain, for lack of a better word. I think the moment I sit down and I start viewing it strictly as administrative work. Then it's like you really don't want to do it. Then I really <laughs> don't want to do it. But if I can think of it um, as a project I'm directing yeah. or as a piece that I'm working on and kind of pull it apart and put it back together the same way I would do a play that I was directing, then it becomes a lot more fun. And then it becomes that same kind of challenge that, that figuring out a play is. Yeah. Um, I just glanced down at the clock and it's already uh, 6.43. How is that possible? So we're gonna I'm going to bounce around oh through goodness. some things. And um, and we will absolutely do this again at some point. So okay. maybe whenever you have an off day. <laughs> Never. Um, no. So uh, I want to ask a quick question about uh, managing and directing. I picture a director as someone who's like telling people what to do. So uh, is am I missing? What am I missing on that? Because it sounds like you were saying that managing people is telling people what to do and directing is not. So like, what is the actual role of a director? So I think you're right. I think to a certain extent, they are very similar. Um, I think the difference is for me, the management part of it, like the day to day kind of staying on top of projects that we're working on and checking in with employees. Um, that stuff just proves to be a little bit um, more of a challenge for me. Directing, however, for me, it's much more about um, a collaborative experience versus me telling other people okay. what to do. Yeah, that makes so sense. So directing for me, um, obviously blocking the play, figuring out what the themes of the play are, figuring out what the unifying principle of the play is, um, getting wow. with my design team and okay. making sure that we're all on the same page, getting with the cast and making sure that we're all on the same so page. So the director is interpreting basically the script. That's exactly and, right. And intensely describing what everyone should do to make it come alive. That's exactly right. Okay. And then it's the actor's job to bring everything they've got to the table and then we work together. And so then it becomes one of those things that I look at all of the choices that they are making and I say, okay, is this choice serving all of these discussions that we've had. Uh, interesting. If it is, great. If it's not, even if it's a brilliant choice, maybe it's not telling the story that we want to be telling. Cool. Um, so it's kind of that um, give and take. Mm -hmm. It's like a dance to me. Um, okay. I just, I think it's a lot of fun. Of course, film, I think, is much more the director's medium, right? It's much more the director saying, this is what I want. This is the frame. This is the shot. Blah, 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 blah. For theater, it's much more about um, the give and take. Cool. So, um, so what's the uh, what's the process? And again, we'll jump around and go quick because we we're running out and there's like a million things. When uh, I can go, we'll go till seven fifteen. Well, no, I definitely I don't want to take you. I don't want to take advantage. You have a, a what was it? A, the final performance tonight? Final dress. Yeah. Final dress. That's super important. It sounds super important. That's the last rehearsal before the first play. Audience. Okay. Yeah. We I have our first much. audience tomorrow. Tomorrow, Wednesday night. Okay. Got I it. know it's going to be an exciting, panic-inducing experience. <laughs> What's the normal life cycle of a play? So normally three weekends. We normally okay. run it for three weekends. Um, and then how much prep, um, how much uh, rehearsal time before that? So for musicals, typically seven to ten weeks, depending on what the musical is. Okay. For plays, typically five to six. 
Okay. And Just because. Does that include selection of the cast and all of that also? So no, if you're including selection of the cast, normally the auditions happen about three to four weeks before the actual rehearsals begin. Wow. So from selection of the cast through, I guess, closing the play, anywhere from 10 to 14 weeks. Dang. So you, at any one time throughout the year, you have basically every, um, every section of producing a play happening. You'll, you'll be doing live performances while also casting, while also yeah. rehearsing. In a normal show, we're doing at least three different things at once. That is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. We wow. stay really, really busy. I know, it's insane. Um, okay, let's talk about you okay. for a few minutes. Let's do. Um, tell me about your background and when you first started acting. So, um, my first play was in fifth grade, okay. and that was the moment I fell in love. Really? I did theater all through high school. Um, I did theater in college. I actually majored in English and theater, um, thinking that <laughs> that was going to give me some kind of that makes sense. That makes sense to me, as long as you were going to do English plays. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds <Right>. good. <laughs> and the weird thing is I was actually a British lit concentration uh, okay. English major. So Is, quick interjection, is London like the center of uh, live theater or is New York the center? New York. New, New York. York is definitely the center, um, but I'd say London is a close second. I did get to see um, the... Gosh, what's the name of it? The play, like uh, the play that went wrong. I think oh, God. in London. So jealous. It was awesome. It was. I'm an so jealous, experience. both that you went to London and you saw that in the Duchess Theater. Ah, yeah, it was very cool. But not about me. You're talking about you. So you uh, acted all the way through. Um, yeah. Have Have you written any plays? No. Okay. No, I haven't. You're an English major. I thought maybe you were you were dabbling. You know what? J take that back. Um, for graduate um, school, for our thesis project, we actually had to write uh, a one person show. Wow. And so I actually did write a one-person show and performed that I performed. It? Yep. Is it recorded somewhere? Yes. Is it? Yes. Wow. Okay, I might yes. have to hit you up for that later. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure they have the recording, so I'm sure I could get it. That is super cool. I, I did want to pay you a huge compliment um, since we're talking about you uh, going back to The Crucible whenever um, whenever I saw that. Because, like you said, you you played the main Elizabeth. The, yeah. so I guess it, it, she's like the almost the main character. Jo she's John like, is the main character. I yeah. Guess, I don't know all the terminology and everything, but uh, your performance was amazing. And I'm Thank not, you. I don't want to just sit here and flatter you because you're on my podcast, but it legit was. But an extremely amazing moment was at the very end. I think it was the, I think it was the final scene where everything comes out and then the decisions are made and he says like the wrong thing type thing. But there's a point where you're like crying or you're supposed to be crying on stage and you were legit crying doing the live performance and I was like watching and of course I was like enthralled because as I mentioned before the quality was amazing and all of the acting was amazing uh but so this is probably going to be a terrible question that is going to be difficult for you to answer uh but how do you prepare to p give a performance like that I think that's a great question. And I think that is a question that actors everywhere are constantly trying to answer. <laughs> yeah. See, I know this is going to be a terrible question. No, it's not. It's, like, it's a great question. Okay, I'm serious. Okay. I think it's a great question. I think I'll believe you on that, maybe. No, I'm serious. <laughs> because I think that is that is something that we're constantly trying to um, hone and stay on top of. So for me personally, it involves a huge amount of um, physical warm-up. So I know that, you know, I didn't come on stage until act two in that show. Mm -hmm. So I had, what, 30 minutes backstage where I was literally doing push-ups and jumping jacks and trying to physically wear myself down wow. to the point that I, I was exhausted. So that by the time uh, I like hit the, the stage... Like the uh, character is. Right. In, okay. Right. Wow. Um, so by the time I hit the stage, 
I was at least emotionally in the place that I needed to be. I honestly, I think that um, things like crying on stage, um, I will always tell people if I'm teaching an acting class or something that crying should never be the goal. The goal should always be to be present in the moment and just listening and responding to whatever is happening. If something like tears happen, that's a great byproduct. I think the fact that... That's an interesting perspective. I would not have expected that. That's well, and cool. I think it's one of those things that the more you try to cry or the more you focus on something like that, the more your body's going to lock up. Mm-hmm. But if you're mm-hmm. just released and present and in the moment, things will happen naturally. So if I can take a stab in that scene, you were, and of course your hu- your husband was your husband in real life as well, so maybe that helped. But, it did. It did. Um, but... You are basically picturing the actual situation written in the play happening to you personally in order for you to put on the performance. Is yeah, that, I think I there was a certain amount of that. I, I tried to build um, the reality of the crucible into my head. I tried to imagine what our three children that we referenced constantly throughout the play looked like, mm. what their bedrooms looked like, so that when the people came to the house to take us away, I knew what those kids' mm-hmm. faces looked like in the moment. Um, and obviously imagining my husband taken away and hanged that, that was obviously (laughs) an impetus to to weep. But I think, you know, there have been plenty of shows that I've done with people that I didn't love. Um, (laughs) in fact, some that I didn't even like that, uh, involved tears. And I think, I think when you're on the stage like that with someone who is giving everything to you in the same way that you're giving it, it can just happen. Really, really naturally. I think that um, being an actor is all about tearing the walls down around you, being vulnerable, being open, um, and doing all sorts of work and preparation off stage, getting onto the stage, and forgetting all about it, and just being present in the moment. So it was also very easy. All of those people on the stage with me are people that I love that mm-hmm. were just treating me terribly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. it was an easy yeah. reality to, to be able to get emotional in. That's cool. Yeah. That's uh, very cool. Um, so the <laughs> preparation for doing that, um, what's your, you know, there's, there's a lot of lines you got to learn. There's a lot of um, relating you have to do to the role and things like that. What would be your advice to someone who wants to, I guess, take their acting to the next level in terms of, again, I'm stumbling through because I'm not, I don't know about acting, but uh, who wants to actually put on a magical performance, which I would characterize that scene as being. So somebody who's like, uh, yeah, somebody who's maybe not great or, or like just getting started or wants to get better. What's like the way, or maybe how did you get to the level that you're at now? Was there a time when you kind of saw yourself growing a lot? Yes. I think when I started acting, I was terrible, like legitimately <laughs> okay. terrible. That's great to hear because that, that's encouraging to a lot of people for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. I, I think I had Everybody's no idea what start. I was doing. Yeah. I was focused on all of the wrong things. I was focused very much on myself. Mm. And I think that acting is actually being about focused on everything but yourself. Really? Okay. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot of what allows you to, to have that openness and that vulnerability. Um, I would say take some classes audition for everything that you can audition for because I do believe that experience is the best teacher Mm. as far as acting goes. Figure out what your type is when you're on stage. Um, I prefer comedy. I tend to be better at drama, you know? Okay. Um, And I have kind of figured that out about myself in the past several years. Um, 
that that's honestly what I would say. I really do think that just doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. I probably have been in 50 plus shows over the past several years. And I think, I mean, for a long time, I wasn't taking classes. Um, When I felt like I had hit a ceiling as far as my knowledge went and as far as my ability went, that's when I decided the graduate school was was the thing that I needed to do. And then I got to spend three years in a conservatory program at LSU having my ass busted, for (laughs) lack of a better word, um, and really honing my skills with someone who could see pretending versus being authentic and calling people out on those differences. Mm. And I think once you can start to feel that in your body, it makes all the difference in the world. You can start to feel what is real Mm -hmm. versus what is a forced performance. And I think, um, I think all actors should direct because I think that helps too. I know the first time that I directed a show, I was able to see so many things in the cast that taught me so much um, about what worked, what didn't work, so on and so forth. So I think it's really important for all actors and all directors, honestly, to do the other thing. Um, just because I think it's going to make you well, really well-rounded and I think it's going to um, kind of make you just a little bit more competitive in your field as well. And I think, I think you have to have that understanding of how all of the elements of theater work to, to really be successful. Um, so I guess that would be my advice is just do it. That's great. Do it as much as you can. Cool. Um, okay, a couple quick fire questions for the end. All right. What is uh, your favorite play to watch and what is your favorite play to participate in, whether you have acted in it or would like to act in it? God, that's really tough. That's really, really tough. <laughs> you must pick one. I know, <laughs> no. right? <laughs> so probably my favorite show that I've seen in a really long time was Moulin Rouge. I went to see Moulin mm. Rouge um, on Broadway basically right before it shut down. Wow. Um, and I saw it twice. Um, despite the cost. (laughs) And uh, I loved it. And part of it was the spectacle. Part of it, um, as a director, I've just grown um, so much to really, really love um, spectacular productions Mm -hmm. in the Aristotelian sense. Um, And uh, that definitely um, did that. I also... um, you know, I saw a production when, on Broadway of uh, Oklahoma, the revival of Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And let me just say that I hate Oklahoma. <laughs> it's one of my least favorite musicals in the history of theater. This revival of Oklahoma was stunningly good because they took this, to me, what feels like an outdated, slightly mm-hmm. antiquated musical. They made it relevant. They rearranged the music. It was so sexy and dark and bloody and all of these things that I just don't think of um, Oklahoma being. So that honestly made me so excited. And as a director, I want to do that. I want Mm. to figure out how to take these musicals that I think have no place in our contemporary canon and turn them into something completely new and re-envision them. So I'll say that as a director. As an actor... Probably Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I love okay. Tennessee Williams. I got I have to not play. Heard of that one. So I got to play Blanche in um, Blanche Dubois in Streetcar Named Desire years ago. And I think living as an actor within the world of Tennessee Williams is amazing because his scripts are so well fleshed out. His worlds are so well created that all you have to do is read the script several times, <laughs> use your imagination a little bit, and it's easy to see yourself there. Cool. So Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is another Tennessee Williams play. Um, and Maggie the Cat is a role that I would love, 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 love to play at some point. So, you know, hopefully before all my hair is gray, <laughs> I'll have a chance to do that. That would be cool. So um, 
What's your opinion on, or maybe your favorite musical that's a movie? Do you enjoy those? I do. Okay. I do very much. I think some of them are done really well, and I think some of them are not. Yeah. Let me see. I'm asking because I do not like musicals, especially as a general rule, especially uh, in movies. I just, I'm like, why am I watching this movie? I want to watch somebody shoot somebody, uh, <laughs> you know, or something like that. But <clears throat> I watched La La Land with my wife like a few years ago. And it's legit like one of my top five all-time favorite movies. Like, so good. It's very good. It's just everything about it's good, except for one song in it. I didn't really like one particular, like the very beginning song. Side note. But it's amazing. So I was curious if you, if you, uh, if you thought musicals and movies were, they matched well together and you enjoyed and enjoy them or preferred musicals in the theater? So I prefer musicals in the theater, but I think that um, turning musicals into movies is really smart. And I think you reach a lot more people that way and you introduce them to the yeah. to the theater yeah. that way. You know, um, I would say <clears throat> I love La La Land. Mm -hmm. I love Moulin Rouge, the film mm -hmm. Moulin Rouge. Um, I love The Greatest Showman. It's one of my faves. Um, and as far as musical musicals that have been turned into films, I thought Les Mis was really, really successful. Mm -hmm. um, I thought Into the Woods was really, really good. Um, what else? Um, the, Chicago. Uh, Chicago. Okay. and Chicago was excellent. The 2006 movie version of Chicago is probably the best really? okay. of the movie musicals. Richard Gere, I don't even like Richard <laughs> Gere. And Richard Gere was so good in that. Um, I love that one. Cabaret is another one okay. with Liza Minnelli that I think is so good. The Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Clearly, classic. I like musicals. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think The Sound of Music is a really, really successful musical to movie. Um, My Fair Lady. All of all of those, um, I think, are really, really great. Cool. Yeah. So I could just. I could do a whole podcast on the musical movies I like, apparently. Maybe we should. <laughs> so. What's, um, okay, last question before, before I actually make you leave, because you have very important, more important than this podcast things to do. What is the future, number one, for the theater? And we kind of talked about it a little bit, but uh, maybe especially what you're hoping to kind of do in at the end of this year and into next year. And then I'm curious to know if there may be a point for you to go back, not go back, but do professional acting or do acting in another city or something that may, and I don't, again, if you don't want to speak to this because you're the managing director of the theater, that may require your time elsewhere. I'm curious to know if you want to throw yourself back into it just into acting. So I'll answer the theater question first, and then okay. I'll answer that. So I would say the overarching goal of this season is to keep the doors open yeah. and make it through um, and navigate this uh, newfangled, brave new world mm -hmm. of, of theater. Um, and I would say, you know, ideally we um, get some of our staff back. Ideally we, we fill some of those positions again and, and we begin to rebuild and, and grow from there. Um, I would like to see us become the premier regional theater. I know that we're a community theater, but I would love to see us get to the point where we can offer equity contracts if we, if we want to. Um, I would love to see us get to the point where we can offer actors a stipend. Um, and I would love to see us get to the point where we have a really effective touring program like... Um, uh, the Omaha Playhouse or um, the Des Moines Playhouse. I think both of them have shows that they literally tour across the country throughout the year. That's great. I would love to see us get to that point. Yeah. I want us to be doing um, <laughs> festivals nationally. I want us to be doing um, 
seminars nationally. I just think there are a number of things that we haven't, that we're moving towards that, but we haven't just quite tapped into Mm -hmm. yet. Um, I would like to just see us kind of grow out um, and be a little bit less isolated. I feel, I feel like sometimes we, we stay a little bit isolated Mm -hmm. and I want to, I want to move past that. Also, ultimately, I think it would be great to stay in the mid city area, um, but find a building that is not our current one. Okay. I think that would be a fabulous goal. I mm-hmm. love our building. Um, but I think that we could thrive somewhere else potentially. Okay. So that that's definitely a goal. Yeah. Um, as far as acting goes, yes, I would love to get back into it. Mm-hmm. I would love to do some professional theater. Um, and I will definitely audition um, when I see roles that I'm super excited about or productions okay. or directors that I'm super excited about. And to me, I think taking those professional acting gigs or professional directing gigs, I, I view that as continuing education. I think I can just learn from that, and I think the theater is better for, for the experience mm-hmm. that I've gained by doing those things. Mm-hmm. I think there's something to be learned from every theater job you have. I've learned something from every show I've seen. I've learned something from every job I've taken. So I think that... Um, I think that's actually an important part of it. You know, when you're when you're um, a theater professor at a university, you are required to do one show off campus per season. Okay. Um, because they view it as right, right. keeping a tenure you sharp track and, yeah. recommend or a tenure track requirement. Because yeah, you're learning and, and you're keeping your skills sharp. So, so ultimately, yeah, I would love to act more than I do. Very cool. Um, I've always said that acting is my first love. So. Right. So I hope that I can do more of it at some point. Yes, me too. That'd be great. Thanks, Chase. Um, please plug the theater and where people can go buy tickets and support the theater. Absolutely. So theaterbr.org is our website. You can go there to get your tickets. Also, our box office is 924-6496. Um, getting tickets on our website is super easy. One click, you're done. So I highly recommend that. Um, We are located at 7155 Florida Boulevard. um, And we have a lovely giant facility and a beautiful Mm -hmm, theater. mm -hmm. So um, I certainly hope that if you have not joined us before, you will. And if you have, you'll join us again. Absolutely. And you definitely should because it's great. Yeah, I think think it's a really special place. I really do think that Theater Baton Rouge is a special place. I had not been to any uh, of the Theater Baton Rouge performances up until the crucible of last year and was again i'll say it again extremely impressed and loved it and wanted to go back soon quickly and then we went back and we saw another show so uh unless you want to be addicted like the only way you should not go see a show is if you don't want to be addicted to it because i guarantee that you will love it if you go and see a show and you should thank you so thank you again jenny uh i think it's definitely time for you to go thank you i appreciate thanks for having me Thanks for listening to this incredible episode of the Chase Doesn't Know podcast. A massive thanks again to Jenny Ballard Mayfield for coming on to my podcast and shedding lots of knowledge and insight into the world of theater, which I did not know much about. And believe me, it killed me that we did less than an hour. She will definitely be coming back on soon to talk a lot more about all things theater. Please go to theaterbr.org. And for those uncultured people like myself, theater is spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E-B-R. 
org. Please go check out their website and see some of the shows that they have coming up, including American Sun, which, depending on when this comes out, may or may not still be showing. But as she mentioned, they're going to have some great shows coming up in the next month or so, and they're going to have some virtual shows as well. They always want and need your support to keep going, especially whenever all the live events have been shut down. So please consider buying some tickets or making a donation to Theater BR, especially during this time. I personally guarantee that you will enjoy the show. And like I said a billion times, and I'll say it one more time, they put on a fantastic show from the quality of the production to the quality quality of the acting to the script and story itself both shows that i've seen were fantastic and intriguing a drama and a comedy uh they're amazing so again thanks so much to jenny please consider supporting theater baton rouge and theater in general because it's something that a lot of people might overlook but uh as jenny so eloquently explained very important thanks again for listening i will see you on the next one